Before I get started, I'm just going to quickly pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to meet week by week, to hear your word, to be taught. Lord, I pray that we would be open in our hearts, in our minds, in our, in our ears, that we would hear what you want us to say, and that we would hold on to it dearly and act on it in the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I've just noticed while I was sat there that actually, obviously if you're a man and you work in this church, you're supposed to wear a green jumper. So I think, you know, now that, now that Mike's on stuff, somebody should be, you know, really kind and buy him a green jumper so, so he fits in. Okay. So, yeah, I've got this kind of quite, for me, I've, um, when I first got given this passage, I was like, I kind of read it and go, ooh, this is really exciting. And... Um, and it is really exciting because we're like, Mark preached, spoke last week talking about you know, the, the immense experience that Saul had on the road to Damascus, that hugely significant journey switch, both, I suppose, in many ways, physical and metaphorical, on, a, on an absolute you know, head down on a road to go to Damascus to find all these followers of the way and to you know, put them into prison. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, kind of God gets hold of him and opens his eyes and takes him in a different direction, in a direction that maybe he never thought would happen. In his own passion for God, his mission that he had at that point in time was the one that he thought he was doing for God. His mission was, you know, down there, he was, as it talks about later on in the epistles, he was, you know, Pharisees, every form of religion that he was supposed to be following, he was following. He was doing it with absolute passion and desire and throwing his whole life into it for God. But in that, he'd missed what God was actually doing. He'd become blinded by what God was actually doing and had done through Jesus. So this is an exciting, life-changing story that so often when we look at people like Saul and also people throughout Scripture where they seem to be significant people, they seem to be you know, beyond us, they seem to be more than we could ever be, and we can sometimes look at them and go, yes, Saul had that immense experience, he... God completely switched his direction and did something life-changing that impacted the entire world by sharing the gospel with Gentiles. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think God's going to quite do that me or have quite such a big mission for me as he did with Saul. But there's still lots to learn from Saul. We can so easily switch off and read about him and go, you know, that's nice, but, you know, what I want us to get out of this sermon, and hopefully it'll help you do that, is, you know, what impact does that have on me? Little old me, sat in Holy Trinity in Norwich, who maybe has a positive ex- understanding of themselves, maybe doesn't, maybe struggles to see how God could use you. But actually, I, th- I believe in a God that uses everybody, whether we're, the world thinks we're amazing or the world doesn't. So I'm, just, I'm kind of going through this kind of you know, quite systematically. It's quite a handy passage to be preaching on because there's, there's four paragraphs and they kind of fit quite, nice, quite neatly into a sermon. So thank you for Alan or whoever gave me this passage. It works really nicely. So in the, in the first uh, paragraph of this passage, we see Saul's finally kind of made it to Damascus. He's there. He's gone from being somebody who was probably on a mission to go to this synagogue, to weed out the people who were followers of the way, to drag them into prison with his bit of paper that he'd got. But yet he entered the synagogue and he was preaching Jesus as the Son of God. Now that's, you know, 
maybe to us as Christians, that seems quite a normal kind of, you know, that's an obvious thing to say. But Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was somebody who, to call somebody the son of God is a big thing, is an immense thing, and it requires a huge shift in your world perspective, in your understanding of God. And yet he's doing this. He's kind of gone from being on route A to being on route B. He's gone to proclaiming Jesus is the son of God. And there's no wonder it confused people, because I... Saul must have had, like, people in the synagogue must have known who he was. He, one of these people that had a, a bit of a reputation, probably. Somebody, you know, almost bad news to followers of the way, bad news to Christians. And yet, he's declaring Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, I was, through the week, I was trying to think of, like, a modern-day example of what this could be, and there isn't really. But the, the closest I could come with is his kind of Richard Dawkins, who, like, a zealous new atheist on a mission to disprove that God even exists. And yet this is kind of what, in some ways, what happened with Saul. He was so fixated, so, you know, he thought he had God understood, God in a box, and knew knew what God wanted, and yet God changed him. And that's, you know, that's amazing. That just shows how powerful God is, how alive God is. God can reach into somebody's life and completely switch it. And to me, that's kind of, that's so exciting. I can sometimes get caught up in the mundane of life, in thinking, you know, I've got my life sorted, I've got to do this. And I almost take God for granted. Or I kind of shrink God down a bit, and I kind of go, you know, well, this is how God's going to do stuff in my life. This is what God's going to do. But a passage like this is a reminder that God constantly will be doing things that we don't expect to him. And we'll be constantly looking at people and changing people and encouraging people and empowering people to do whatever it is that God has got planned for you. Okay. Just um, I've lost my place on my notes. Okay. So, you know, did Saul go into the synagogue, you know, just in his own power? Was it just, you know, he had all this knowledge and he suddenly saw how he needed to direct it? Well, no, because we saw in the, the passage... Um, the passage before this, that how the Holy Spirit was involved in this. That how the Holy Spirit kind of, he'd received power in the Holy Spirit. He'd been changed not only in the way that he saw things, but in the way that he reacted to things, in the way that he saw himself, in the way that he saw light, life, life, light as well. Okay. So that's what's exciting is that when God changes our lives or brings something new for him to do us, it's not within our own strength. It's not within our own power. It's not within our own understanding. It's in leaning into God and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, allowing ourselves to be free from perceptions of ourselves, free from how we think we can do things and open and listening to what God is saying and doing and open, open and excited about the Holy Spirit working in our lives, opening new doors, opening the ways in which we see ourselves. So yeah, so in verse 22 it says, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now this might be, you know, do we baffle people? The people look at us and they baffle us. That there's something so different about us that confuses us. There's something that shines out in who we are and what we do 
that speaks into them, that speaks into the very being of who they are, that we, we shine Christ in the situations that we live in, that we work in. Right? Honesty, I don't always. I know that, that sometimes my humanness gets the better of me, but it's exciting that God wants to do that. Jesus, that Saul grew in power because of the Holy Spirit. And, yeah, baffling people, baffling the Jews, they, they, their, their perception of, not only has Saul's perception of himself changed, but Jews' perception of Saul had changed. They, they saw something different. They saw something that didn't marry up to what they were expecting. They saw something that had significantly shifted and changed in Saul and who he was and the words that he was saying. No longer was his energy and his passion driven towards catching the followers of the way, the Christians, but they who was there changed and proclaiming what they were proclaiming as well, proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. So I'm going to move on to the next passage where it says, After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul planned, learned of their plan day and night and kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But the followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Now, what, the thing that kind of... I read the, that, kind of, that, pas, that paragraph and kind of almost glossed over the fact that it says, after many days, and you kind of go, yeah, maybe a week, maybe a, you know, a little insignificant time period. But if we look in Galatians, chapter 1, verses uh, 17 to 20, it says, then... Uh, I did not go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. So three years. It wasn't just a kind of a quick change in direction and going off into a new place. God took him aside for a large period of time. Now we don't know what happened in those three years. There's kind of, you, you can have, wander off in artistic license and think about what God might have done with him. But one of the, the, uh, one of the theories about what went, happened with Saul in that time was that it was kind of a compensation because he hadn't been around with Jesus like the disciples had. He hadn't had that kind of on-earth, mingling with everybody, training, that he hadn't been there with the rest of the disciples. But whatever God did with him, God was preparing him. God was instructing him, preparing him for what the path that laid ahead, the path of sharing the Gospels with the Gentiles. Now, it's quite interesting when I sat there listening to Mike, and Mike was saying about the journey that he's been on to this point in time. He didn't suddenly wake up a month ago and go, you know what, I fancy working at Holy Trinity and be involved in the, in the music and the worship and doing some admin. I don't think, well, maybe people do, but most people don't wake up in the morning and think, you know what I really want to do is some admin. But God has clearly got hold of Mike and taken him on a journey. Yes, it, wasn't, it didn't take him to Arabia, it didn't go into any physical different places, but God had him on a journey, preparing him, shaping him, encouraging him, directing him to this point. And that's what, to me, is kind of, it's a big challenge. We can, I don't know about you, but you sometimes, you know, you feel like God's telling you to do something. You feel like God's opening doors, but you go, I'm not, I'm not ready yet, so I won't do anything with it. But maybe out of this, maybe we need to be more proactive in what we're doing and not just, you know, God told me to do something and then leaving it. But maybe we need to be listening to where God is changing and shaping us, evolving us in our understanding of who we are, changing 
and just revealing more and more of who he is so that when that point, like Mike came to you being appointed here, he was ready, he was prepared, he was in the place where he was meant to be. Where's the water gone? Sorry, hang on. I've got a mouth like the Arabia Desert, so hang on. Sorry about that. Okay. And then when he's back in Damascus, it's kind of, it doesn't say how he kind of um, knew that they were going to, hang on a minute. It doesn't say how Saul or his followers knew about how they were going to kill him, but he knew. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit again. Maybe it was God. He was somebody that was wanting to be switched on to what God was saying. Maybe, yeah, he was, maybe he was just somebody that was very observant. But seeing as God had a very specific plan for him, I would guess that he was probably somebody that was hunger, hungry and passionate to know what God was saying all the time. Now that's a big challenge in the, in the busyness of life, in the, the complexity of the world, whether you're doing studying and you've got an essay to be written or you've got a job to go to that's putting so much pressure and demands on you. But actually, your life is so much richer when you do that. And this is not to bring condemnation for those that are not doing it, because I don't do it all the time. But I know that when I do focus on God, I hear God's voice. Actually, that's when I feel most alive, when I'm so much more focused on God, and I'm not distracted by the business of the world. So... He gets a little bit of a trip in a basket down through an opening in the wall. And the, the, the title for this sermon apparently was something to do with the baskets, but I completely ignored that, so never mind. But, yeah. Are we people that genuinely hunger after knowing what God's saying? Be that in the big things or in the simple things. Are we people that are open to God's direction in anything and everything? So now he's escaped from Damascus, he's gone over to Jerusalem. And his in, what seems almost like an instinctive response is to find other believers. An in, instinct that actually being a disciple is meant to be in community. Even if you think you might be ostracised or not accepted, being a Christian is about being in community and all that that brings and the richness that that brings and the challenge and encouragement that that brings. But yet when he meets the disciples in there, they're not, they're not convinced that he really is a disciple. You know, How can this man that was on a mission to destroy us, to whittle us out of society, to snub us off the face of the earth, suddenly become a disciple? How can somebody who appeared to be going in such a different direction to us suddenly be one of us? No, that's quite... I, I found that kind of quite a challenge. You know, is, if somebody walked in the, off the street that you know, didn't fit my view, image of, of what a follower of Christ looked like, would I be apprehensive? Would I be going, you know, what are you doing in church? Am I open to God being in whoever he wants to be his life? Am I open to look beyond my own understanding of what it means to be a disciple or what it looks like to be a disciple? Do I have 
an understanding of what it looks like to be a disciple in a box? Do I expect them to be, I don't know, do I expect them to be white and middle class? Do I expect them to be university educated? Do I expect them to be, I don't know, like me? And if they're not like me, then I don't want anything to do with them. That's, again, again, this is pointing back to Saul's change. God can get hold of and does get hold of anybody and everybody. God has a passion and a desire for anybody and everybody. And we may look at people that we think are a million miles away from God. We may look at people in our workplace, in our university, in sports clubs, in whatever we do, and think, you know, they're not going to want to know about Christ. They're not going to want to even get into a discussion or, you know, I won't even mention that I went to church on Sunday because they think, you know, I'll be a bit of a weirdo. He might be a little bit of a weirdo, but, you know. And, yeah, I think it's just so exciting that actually the gospel isn't for a specific person that you kind of, you have to tick lots of boxes, you have to look certain ways, you have to do certain things because God is a God of the world. God is the God for all people for the people that are sat in here, but the people that live in this parish, the people that live anywhere in Norwich, that live in different places in the world with, with different understandings of things, but God, through Christ, reaches out to them, reaches out to them because of heart, hunger and passion. And do we do that? Do we, are we shrunk back because of the world's perception, post-modernity, post-Christian, whatever title you want to put on it, do we shrink back from being bold like Saul in proclaiming the gospel because we're almost scared and we almost assume that the people don't want to hear it? Or are we open to see the gospel be as powerful as it was with Saul now? Do we still believe that the gospel can be as powerful as it was with Saul now? That's kind of quite a hard question because you look back in wide, you look into wider society and it seems like everybody's shrinking away from anything to do with God or religion or faith or, you know, we can rely on our, our understanding of things through science. We don't need a God anymore. We've disproved God. But God doesn't go away despite our human perceptions. But what does it mean for me as a, as a person living in the 21st century to be a disciple. It's a word that is often used in scripture. It might even be a word that we band around ourselves. But what does that mean for us in the here and now? You know, I, I don't, I'm still getting to know this church. I'm still getting to know the people that are sat here. I don't know where you are in this understanding. But I've come across in my own walk in life how there's sometimes like a two-tier Christianity of a believer and a disciple Now, for me and my theology, I think that's an absolute load of rubbish. It's because Jesus came to make disciples. The commission is about making disciples. We we either are for Christ or not for Christ. We may be starting off on a journey, but, but we are disciples. There is no kind of, I'll let go. Now I'm going to start refraining that. There are, we are all on a journey. We're all where God finds us. We all have to make changes, we, but not because of some person stood at the front, but because of God's challenges. Our discipleship is an ongoing process. We will never get everything right, but God sees us in who we are and wants to encourage and change us. So what is a disciple? Kind of did a boring thing, went to a dictionary, had a look. But the one that stuck out to me most is to learn by use and practice. 
So it's a doing thing. It's not just a, I go to a service and I listen and I hear and I take on board and I know what the passage says. But a disciple is somebody who walks out of that door and it impacts their life. A disciple is somebody who wants to do something with it. I mean, I've just, in July, finished doing a degree in theology and it baffles me how people can study theology for three years and not know God. But I think because... Just hitting the microphone. I think that's because I've had the, I, because God has had hold of me and given me a passion not just to sit in a library and learn more, learn about words, learn about passages, learn what people have done, but give me a passage, a passion to make a difference. So what things can you, is God calling you to make a difference in? In what way is God calling you to have a practical use for the words that I'm spouting, for the words that you've heard in many sermons, for the, for the sermons that you might have listened on the internet. You know, how are they changing, encouraging, challenging, shaping who you are, your understanding of God, your understanding of Jesus and his death and resurrection, and the significant impact that that means? Those are lots of questions. But actually, I think one of the things I've kind of noticed about Jesus is actually often in the New Testament, when he's asked questions, he doesn't necessarily tell you to go and do this or do that or give you a, a six-point plan or a, a route map in the direction that you're going to. Actually, he points to more questions for us to work with him through the Holy Spirit to discover what it is he's wanting to say to us and do. Okay, final section. One of the thing that kind of... Uh, a two th- it's a very, I mean, it's one verse passage, uh, paragraph. But the two things that stand out are strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and living in fear of the Lord. What does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? Do we, when we read a, a verse like that or a phrase like that, do we think we have to be petrified of him? You know, God is somebody to be scared of? But if that's what it is, it, that doesn't marry up with a relational God because you end up with a tyrant who bosses you around, who suffocates you. But God is a God who wants you to breathe and live and come to life because of him. So a, a really good place to start to understand what the... And you could have an entire sermon on the fear of the Lord or an entire series on what it means to fear the Lord. But a good place to start is in Proverbs. So here's just kind of a few of the verses that speak about the fear of the Lord and what that means. This is Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Am I somebody that wants to learn? Am I somebody that wants to grow, to understand myself more, to understand God more? Proverbs 3, 7. To be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. That should be, to do not be wise in your own eyes, not to be wise in your own eyes. So do I look at myself and think of my wisdom as something that comes from books, that comes from studying, that comes from reflecting? Or does my wisdom come from God? Am I open to God giving me that wisdom? Do I want wisdom from God? Or am I happy going on in my own little box and my own understanding of stuff? To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride, arrogance, evil behaviour and perverse speech. Do I hate evil? Are there things in my life that I'm quite happy with? Are there things that are in Scripture that, sh- that, that, that are there things in my life that Scripture tells me shouldn't be there? 
And those things are not to condemn you for those things, but are there to encourage you. They're there to help you on your process of refinement. They're there to encourage you to draw closer into God, to be able to understand what it means to be a disciple. The last thing, the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul wouldn't have done, Saul, wouldn't have done any of this without the Holy Spirit. He didn't do it in his own strength. He didn't do it because he was a wonderful person or because he had a big brain. Yes, he was very clever, but he did it because of God, because of empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Now, I stand up here as somebody who kind of knows the Holy Spirit exists, knows he's done stuff in my life, but doesn't really get it completely. Are you those people? Do you know what the Holy Spirit is? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's there to do in your lives? Do you want him to do stuff in your life? Now, yeah. I, guess, I mean, a, basic, a very basic example is I wouldn't be stood here doing this if I didn't believe God wanted me to do it. Now, you might, at the end of this, kind of come to find me at the back and go, you shouldn't be preaching. But hopefully not. But if I was a very basic example of the Holy Spirit working in my life, is that if somebody, I, before I was at uni, I was working as a microbiologist, if somebody asked me to do a presentation, I would no sooner do that than fly to the moon because that was, would have been done in my confidence in who I am. But doing something like this is not done in my confidence. It's not done in me. It's done because God is working in me. And for whatever reason, I think God might be slightly mad, but he sees something in me and wants to use it. So what is the thing in, what is the thing in you that the Holy Spirit is staring up that to you may seem a little bit bonkers, but actually to God is the most exciting thing in the world? So I realise I've gone over my time. I do apologise. But in conclu- my, bring it kind of to conclusion. This, there's so much going on there. We could have spent hours unpacking that entire passage. There's so much exciting, passionate things going on there. Life's changing. God making an impact in people's lives. People be coming to faith. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, hold on to that and don't let go of it when you walk out of the door. Be excited, be encouraged, be alive in what God wants you to do. Each and every one of you are exciting people because of God. And I would encourage you to, I mean, I know this isn't the end of the service or anything, but there will be time for prayer afterwards. If there's something that's kind of spoken to you, leapt out into your ears, is rattling around in your head, that you really want prayer for it because of something that's come out of your sermon, don't walk out the door. Come and get prayer. Even if it means, means waiting around or just grab the person next to you because as part of discipleship, it's about action. And when God stirs in our things, we, don't, we shouldn't ignore it because however scary it might be, it's because God sees something exciting in each and every one of us. Okay, shall I pray? Okay. Father, I just thank you that you did something amazing and exciting in Saul's life. But I pray that when we look at his character and what he did, we wouldn't be closed off to what you can do in our lives, Lord. Make us hungry and exciting and passionate about what you want us to do in the lives and the situations that you have us in, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.